Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Cameron, and I have a special guest with me today, Rick, and you go by Scrap Code. Um, that is correct. Um, my name's Rick Domini. Um, my uh, current project's name is Scrap Code, um, although I was formerly known by a couple different names, uh, depending on which genre of music I was go- you know, doing. Um, Rick Delore uh, for like cinematic and storytelling type music and way back in the past, um, Rewind and uh, Patient Zero uh, for drum bass and other kinds of music. I love your drum and bass, by the way. There's a lot of good stuff that you put out that I was catching. I was just like, man, this brings me back. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, it's a different vibe because I'm from America, so I'm pulling from a lot of American influences, and that's mm-hmm. quintessentially a British style of music. So me having a different take on it, not everybody's on it. Um, but I just kind of try to do what comes natural. Yep. So for today's episode, I want to talk about the hidden truth about modern music sales, and we're going to discover the secret that the tech industries are preying on how to take control of your music business by uncovering these facts. Have you found yourself questioning what it takes to make it in the music industry? Does it feel like there is some secret successful producers know that you don't? This is the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast. The first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real, sustainable success from the inside out. It was interesting because on the last episode, I revealed a poll and I polled our community and there was an interesting anecdote that somebody had added onto the poll. They said no one values music anymore. Can you believe that? Absolutely. I can believe that. Um, We've seen a steady devaluation of music by both the consumers and the middleman uh, in the music business for about 25 years now. Uh, we went from spending literally $25 for a single in, you know, um, vinyl format for DJs to play or for radio play to, you know, pennies, fractions of a pennies for streaming. So absolutely, this is a fact. This is what's going on. Yeah, clearly. I mean, that's it's an interesting take because at the same time, you know, when we look at how industry has changed from, you know, like the CD era to the MP3.com era and now to the streaming era, um, we kind of just have to identify what exactly the problems are. So if we're just sitting back and getting a bird's eye view, a thousand foot view um, of the industry, you know, if we look at the last decade of music streaming in 2010, you know, your streaming uh, payouts uh, for music streaming subscriptions per year annually went from $8 million in 2010. And it just sees us exponential growth. By 2012, it's already $20 million. By 2016, it's $112 million. And then by 2020, it's $443 million. That's a lot of money. So clearly the music industry is not hurting, right? 
Absolutely. Um, it's just changing directions. It's it's evolving. It's more about microtransactions. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to really hone in on what a microtransaction is. Yeah. So just for comparison, I have a 2018 um, chart from the Tricordist, which kind of covers all of our bases, you know, between YouTube, Pandora, Spotify, Deezer, et cetera, et cetera on what the payouts are on average per stream. And if we look at this chart, you know, YouTube is something like 0007 cents per stream. So this is not even, this is a fraction of a cent. And then you have Pandora, it's 0.001 cents per stream, or sorry, this is 0.1 cents per stream. So I read that YouTube one. The YouTube one is actually 0.07 cents per stream. Pandora is 0.1 cents per stream. Spotify is 0.3 cents per stream. And then Google is 0.6. And if you get to Amazon, it's 0.7. Uh, Apple Music, just slightly above at 0.78. Tidal is 1.2 cents per stream. Rhapsody being 1.6. And then Xbox Music, which is no longer around, was 2.7 cents per stream. Now, this was as of 2018. So these numbers have already changed because all of these contracts that they put together, and remember contracts are between the PROs, you know, the organizations that are collecting on behalf of the music, and also the fact that the gateways, the, the gateways of where they're actually getting the music files from digital distribution uh, are being negotiated by associations. Usually it's by the big labels. And then you have indie music publishers like A2IM and AIMP. Those platforms are usually negotiating the rest of the lion's share. The big three labels get the lion's share of, of you know most of that pre-sale negotiation. So they're guaranteed a certain amount up front. And then what's left over, these other indie associations are usually fighting for at least a clear, fair share underneath. And then all of us, when you're self-releasing as an indie artist, you get the lowest tier. And it can change based on how the business like Spotify is performing. So that's that's a raw deal, isn't it? On the surface, it's a raw deal. I, it does have some benefits, um, although it's really hard to, to understand what those benefits are until you really unpack it. Um, there are some alternative streaming platforms. I mean, it is 2021. Um, There are some unknown ones. Uh, They're kind of getting some traction right now. Uh, Rocky, uh, that's R-O-C-K-I. And uh, Audius um, are also gaining traction. And these are open source platforms built on blockchain technology. We're not going to get into blockchain on this particular podcast. There's totally separate podcasts that talk about Web 3.0, the decentralized web, and how blockchain helps everybody. Um, But what these do is they cut out all of the middleman. It's just this open source service that pays you directly for having your content on their platform. 
Exactly. So there's there's different ways to to go about this. Now we don't know that these alternative platforms are going to you know generate you a livable income. So you got to play the long game here, and that's what I wanted to get into. And I think with Spotify too. You have to remember these publicly traded companies have target revenue levels to hit. So when we complain like, you know, hey, they're taking all of our money. How come we get such a little payout? Well, they're a business first and a business's goal is to survive. And in order to survive, they need cash flow. They have to hit a certain profit margin to be able to not only survive, but, you know, have money that they can recycle back into developing the business further. That's how they stay competitive. And that's the reason Spotify is in the position that it is today is because it did so well. And they did a lot of work to leverage themselves to get into all of these different territories. And it's it's not easy because they also have to deal with the PROs in other countries. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm Nobody's hating on uh, Spotify here. Like I personally use Spotify. Um, it's... It's my everyday listening. Um, I do have other choices for hi-fi listening when I really want to hear. And, and that's when we get into the how do, how do I get the most revenue for, for my work, we'll get into why I choose different services for different things. Yeah. And, you know, forgive me, because this, this topic is something that's just been getting me fired up lately, because there's just so many different perspectives that I find everybody kind of just takes the the victim mentality. Like, you know, as a music producer, as an artist, we're just getting the shaft while these companies take advantage of us. It's up to you to take control of your business. At the end of the day, you are the one that can wield your choice and it's up to you to wield it. Nobody's going to do it for you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, nobody's telling you to throw all of your time and effort into getting your music on Spotify playlists. Because, well, as we just learned as of 2018, and it's still true now, Tidal, as well as Apple Music, are actually paying the most. Yeah. So while um, Spotify is platform agnostic, it works on basically any device, so does Tidal. Yep. Maybe we should be pushing people there. Maybe we should be running contests and say, hey, I'll give one of my top fans on social media a year subscription to Tidal. Or, you know, there's a lot of creative things that you can do that's going to be low risk for you, generate tons of engagement and tons of interest in your music. I mean, honestly, what is a, a, a Tidal subscription? It's about $130 a year with tax. And... If you run an ad for like a couple hundred bucks and you give away a title subscription, man, people are going to be all on your page trying to get that title subscription. Heck yeah. I mean, so, yeah, you're talking about promoting like maybe you got a full album coming out. Maybe you got a big single coming out. Okay, that's a really clever idea. (laughs) I mean, I'm all about guerrilla marketing, you know? Uh, Hell yes. You know, we we used to do this kind of stuff back in the the 90s in the warehouse party days. Um, You know, hey, if you bring 10 friends, we're going to let one of you in for free at random. 
Yep. But you got to bring 10 people. If you don't roll up with a crew of 10 people, y'all all pay in. <laughs> so this it. is the that, same concept, awesome. but in 2021. Yep. We're recycling. And really, that's, I mean, at, at the end of the day, every, every one of us that creates music has a creative problem-solving mind. And what bothers me the most, I think, is that we've practiced so little at applying creative problem-solving to being a salesman, to just marketing ourselves. And I don't mean salesman as in the, you know, like the sleazy salesman tactic mentality. No, just add value, bring, bring value, but then ask for the sale, period. Just bring it up. People who want it will pay. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's one of the things where, where knowing your market really comes into play. Um, if you're doing hip hop, um, you're going to have a 50, 50, um, business model. And what I mean by a 50, 50 is 50% other content creators. Okay. 50% consumers. Like these are just people consuming what you produce with hip hop. It, especially it just kind of teeters on this, um, on, uh, on this cusp where you can market to both consumers say, Hey, here's this fire new single, but you could also do the same thing with DJs, radio people, playlisters, um, TikTok, um, YouTube content creators, I mean, direct market to channels that you like. Please use my new song in your next video. Yep. It would mean a lot to me. And you're asking for the sale. And I know, I personally know people who have made, you know, a $500 check on royalties just on TikTok. Because they asked some creator that they were always interacting with who always replied to their interactions, hey, I would really love it if you used my, my music in your next video. There's actually a couple of guys I know in the, like the Dirty South movement, they're, they're back east, that um, have never been with like major labels. They've never had a marketing agency, never got anything like that. And their sole focus was just on direct-to-consumer sales, and they managed to top the billboard charts in their genre. Number one, for an entire year straight, because they had the direct-to-consumer sales, and they had the proof to show it. Well, and it's not just the direct-to-consumer sales, uh, because you, you've got to remember, with you know hip-hop and dance music in general, DJs and radio personalities are your force multipliers. Oh, now, yeah. and, and that is an actual military term. It is a highly trained, very specific person who can go out there and take what you do and multiply it. Yeah. And, and that's what they're really leveraging. I was being clear that they were just focused on that. Imagine if they had started to diversify their channels of, of marketing. Well, how much more could they have done? Absolutely. But the fact is they just, they set a goal and they set about it and they did it. I think that's incredible. And that means that music sales aren't dead. You just have to go hunt for them. Absolutely. It, it's, it's more about finding your niche market. You know, um, I've got a good friend uh, who does the uh, music for 
uh, a very popular cartoon. I'm not going to name her or the cartoon. Uh, <laughs> but she also does really vibey, um, analog, uh, chill wave type stuff. And she sells her music specifically on these really cute cotton candy pink vinyls. And every one of them is hand signed and she turns it into a collector's item. Oh man, that's awesome. Exactly. Now, does it cost her a lot of money to upfront to put this up? Absolutely. Does she have those to are physical a- vinyls, right? Those are physical vinyls. Nice. And she sells out of them. That's freaking awesome. She sells out of them every single run. She has to call up and say, hey, I need another run. And she's like on her third run of her last album. And she's got another album coming out in like a month and a half, two months. Yeah. And I think it just goes like, if you can take that extra step to just put that extra touch onto whatever that is, obviously she's selling physical media, you know, go the extra mile and have it be a limited edition or something, have them be signed and numbered copies so that there's some, you know, rare ability to it. There's something about that resource that's tangible. And now that there's that perception of scarcity, you can create value, not just for the music, but for you as a brand, for the artist's name, because now there's an asset that is a limited quantity that is out in the field for other people to kind of like, oh, look at I have this, you know, one of 100 signed vinyl print of, you know, whatever. So there's that aspect. But, you know, now you could you could even tie that to NFTs. And that's something we'll have to get into in, in the future as well, because there is that aspect of scarcity in limited quantity. If you ever want people to want what you have, tell them there's only a few of them left. Yep. It, it's Scarcity just, breeds demand. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's it, it's kind of like the opposite of the marketing mentality behind uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> We're just going to buy entire printing lathes and do nothing but cut vinyl until our workers can't stand anymore. <laughs> That's crazy. That was one, that was their, um, you know, production goal for that. Um, this is quite the opposite. We're turning it into a boutique item. When you get into this boutique item kind of thing, it, you're in rarefied air and there's this feeling of inclusivity. Like I'm a part of something special. And, now you're not really selling your music. You're selling the dream of being a part of an inclusive, special community. And even if that community is really small, or maybe you don't have that community yet. So I'm kind of curious. Let me get your thoughts on this, too, because I want to kind of push back on that. Let's say I'm an artist that I'm just starting out, you know, or maybe I put out a few tracks or maybe a few dozen tracks. But you know what? I just don't have a following yet. So where where is the value in it? Like, I haven't figured out my value yet. It, like. Hey, I want to start here. Okay, so for starting here, um, you're probably going to be extremely risk averse because you have no financial future or financial goal established. You don't have a buffer really set up. You, you don't have a buffer set up. So your your very first task is to find your audience. Now, mm-hmm. the way that you find your audience is going to vary uh, based on what you're doing. Uh, for example, I'm really into cinematic music. 
I'm into drum and bass. I'm into video games. And I hang out a lot in those communities. And when people ask me what I do, if it ever comes up, I never push it on people. They say, hey, well, what do you do? Oh, well, I make music. It's like an, it's, it's never the first thing. And I'm out here getting my name out in these community uh, communities and just telling people, Hey, I'm a cool guy. You know, I like the same stuff that you do. We have a lot of stuff in common. And then when I hit them later on down the road, when I have a release to say, Hey, everybody, I thought you should know. I also make music. Here's this release. I'd appreciate it. If you check it out, guess what all these people are going to do. Curiosity killed the cat. They're going to go and and play it on whatever service I tell them to go play it on. Yep. And I dictate that. I say, hey, I would really like it if you guys, you know, go check it out on, you know, Apple Music, because that's where I get paid out the best. If you don't have an Apple Music account, you can sign up for a free title account for one month. Boom. Here's a code. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I think this is this is something that. You know, we're, again, where I get aggravated by seeing these kind of posts in the community and, you know, just seeing that disconnect from like, okay, you're clearly, you've been doing it as a hobby, but you haven't made the connection to thinking about it like a business yet. So when we see these complaints about, you know, like, oh, you know, nobody values music anymore. It's all free. If we just step back and say, who's determining the worth here? Is that you? Did you negotiate for your compensation on each of these platforms or did you just throw it up on SoundCloud? And say, you know, go buy my music, but you haven't even set the value yet. So when you think about those things, I want to kind of just step back for a second and look at these things from perspective. Have you considered the customer's journey? Have you considered what the journey is like as a consumer of your music? You know, how do you build this super fan? And how's that journey like getting there? Maybe, maybe you have some thoughts on building that super fan. Um, building a super fan is is more is more about finding your your target audience than building a super fan from scratch. Um, there's always going to be a, a subset of people who like you know whatever you're doing. I mean, you could be doing noise art, you could be doing you know top forty style pop music like uh, Dua Lipa or, you know, um, Doja Cat, whatever. The Weeknd or, yeah. Uh, Doja Cat is great. Come on. I love it. She's got some good stuff. No lies. Um, (laughs) So you you first have to define who you are as an artist. And then you need to go connect with those people, right? And just introduce yourself as a peer. And then once you build that relationship... Um, you know, interactions, you know, commenting, liking, whatever you do, or, you know, it depends on the platform that you're on. Now these people know who you are. The algorithms know that you two know who you know who each other is. So that when you post something, they're going to see it first. They're going to be um, almost... 
um, drawn to it by the way the algorithms for social media design or for Google or design. Um, and they're going to interact with your post and they're going to listen to your music on whatever platform you tell them to go listen to it on. And so you get to make that choice for them in, in a lot of ways. And that's you asking for the sale. And the reason, the, the way that I'm kind of getting going the long way around this is the super fan does not come in a day. You're not just going to, you know, post a song on SoundCloud, no matter how good it is, no matter like how good the mix is, how good the mastering is, how good the art is, how good the marketing is. You're not going to have a day one super fan. That super fan is going to like you based on how your music affects them as well as how you present yourself in that particular genre of music's community. Yep. Absolutely. It was never like this 10 years ago. It was not like this. And this is something that um, has also furthered the devaluation of music is that, you know, music producers are preclusive by nature. We don't necessarily want to come out and, you know, be in the real world and interact with people on a daily basis. That's, <laughs> you know, when lockdown hit, we were like, oh, man, it's time to do an album, <laughs> you know. And every single, you know, creator that I know is like that. Yep. Um, so this having to be like a social media superstar or at least, you know, not be an introvert is something that um, causes your music to be devalued in the current environment. You have to put yourself out there. It's just yeah. that simple. If you don't put yourself out there, you don't interact with people. Um, you're, you're not ever going to reach anyone. Uh, so no matter what you're doing, if you're not doing something, your music has zero value. So let's peel it back for a second and get a, kind of get a macro level view of like what this customer journey is supposed to look like. Because if we say, hey, I'm an artist or hey, I'm a music producer, you know, and, you know, something where you're you're representing the alias that is public facing. Um, really, we're, we're going to come back to the truth of modern music sales. The fact that these tech companies are preying on is the fact that they're treating you like a consumer. When you're buying their product, you're agreeing to their terms of service, even, even you know, Spotify for artists. You're agreeing to their terms by using their platform. And when you hit that check mark and say yes, and you negotiate that, or if you're going through a distro kid or you know, a tune core, and you're hitting yes, I want to do these terms of service, all of their terms of service are laid out. There is no negotiating. It's all preset in advance for you. So this is why when I first talked to James Rhodes from Fixed in episode one, that was a key reason why he chose to align his label with associations like A2IM and Merlin. Those associations are basically collectives that go to bat as one to form a bargain that's much more transparent for them. So they're on a whole other echelon. But for us, if you're self-releasing, you have to play a different ballgame. You have to understand where your position is in that vertical tier and you have to leverage that to your advantage. And so if you're going to leverage that to your advantage, I want you to treat every single social platform, because Spotify is a social platform, 
Treat it like a music exposure. You're going to expose yourself to new potential customers. So if they're potential customers, at best, they're a passive listener. All they do is they listen to your music. They haven't really said anything that, oh, this sounds great or anything. They don't really interact with it much. At most, you might get some likes, right? That's a good sign. Maybe you'll get a follower. That's even better. Maybe they'll put you on a playlist. Exactly. Your next step is when you get that follower, you need emails. Emails is going to be the best direct path to communicating with that customer and building that relationship because now you're talking about building that next step. So after your music is out, what else can you pitch to them that can help you generate sales? Maybe it's merch. Maybe it's NFTs. Maybe it's event tickets. Who knows? The doors are wide open here. The product stack that you want to design is up to you. Maybe it's art prints from your album. You know, um, that's a thing in merch that a lot of people are kind of sleeping on right now is, you know, yeah, it's like just the the cool vinyl wall prints. I mean, people are loving that. Um, But the to kind of rewind it back a little bit, uh, Cameron, is the reason why you want everyone on uh, on your email list is because this is advertisement that they choose to receive from you. Opt in. They opt in. There is no other platform on the face of this planet where consumers can opt in to see your content every time you post it. I understand that social media has tried to you know, make things a lot more interactive in real time, and they have failed miserably because a 35-year-old technology like email is still killing them in reach all day, every day. I can ha- I have a small list of, uh, in it, a curated list of people that I know who are DJs, uh, music placement people, um, fans that have been with me for the last 15, 20 years. And it's only about 500 people. But I know that if I send an email to five, to that list of 500 people, 400 of them are opening it. Yeah. And the other reason why the other 100 don't open it is because they're either not with us anymore or they've lost access to that email account. Yep. And it's nice. You have services like MailChimp and things. They'll even show you click-through rates, open rates, red rates. They'll show you all of that. De- all of that. Uh, Reverb Nation, um, what you said MailChimp, yeah. uh, Constant Contact. Yep, that's another good one. Um, I kind of like the Reverb uh, Nation one because it has a mobile app where they can just type in their email address. Uh, so and really, you, that's, that's kind of like an all-in-one platform, isn't it? It is. Um, there's a subscription fee, um, and I don't use it as my main... M- music posting platform, but what it does is it aggregates all of your social media and they're working on getting like TikTok and Snapchat and, and things like that um, integrated, but it, it integrates the main social platforms, uh, SoundCloud, um, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram 
into one platform and you can look at what your your audience is doing and see where your audience is existing. For me, most of my audience is going to be on Instagram and TikTok. I almost never post on Facebook. It's, you know, my current project has like 122 likes. I mean, I don't even really care about that. But every time I post a video on TikTok, I'm getting thousands of views. Damn. And that's way better than what's going on on Facebook. That's so, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm concentrating on is, and, and that's part of finding your your market. Once you find your market, then you can go in and interact with these people, yes. and you're building value for yourself. And then once you have built that value. Then when it comes to release time, then you can ask for the sale. Hey, please stream my new song. Please buy my new song on Beatport. If you're overseas, buy it on Juno Download. Um, we're working on physical copies if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, I think another key takeaway there is you just experimented. You're willing to take a little risk and try a new platform and just see how it worked out. And you know what? Success leaves clues. And you know what success for you looks like? is you got more views, you got more interactions out of that platform than you were seeing on other platforms. So keep keep following it, that lead. It's all about split half testing. Yes. Um, and that's a whole separate, po- different podcast. <laughs> uh, split half testing isn't just for uh, marketing. The marketing people stole it from the technical people. I also think that's... It. Like to set that up properly, it's probably highly individualized. So it's something that you know, I feel like Maybe you just need to do a one-on-one with the coach with before you, like, just to see if you can get it set up properly. Cause it's going to come down to all of your unique attributes, what you're trying to hit target wise, uh, who your target audiences are. All those things are going to make it very unique for your, the variables in your unique situation. So if you reach out to Rick, he's a mentor on the music producers Alliance. I'm, I am as well. I would definitely reach out to Rick. He, he could probably help set you up, set that up for you. Um, in a one-on-one, you know, private coachings like that are probably the best for that. Cause it's just, there's no way to just say, Hey, here's one big template approach. This works for everybody all the time. This is not going to happen. No, it, it, it's not going to work because what if you're doing country rap, like Lil Nas X, who was taking a <laughs> chance on that? Exactly. You know how homeboy blew up? How do you blow up? He asked all of, he, he went and interacted with a whole bunch of people on Instagram and uh, on uh, TikTok and on YouTube. And he posted up his first single and he said, hey guys, um, in a little bit of a shadow ban place, and we'll, we'll talk about shadow bans, that's not a real thing. Uh, shadow ban is another word for I don't make content that the algorithm likes. Yep. <laughs> so the algorithm just decides not to work for you. E- there, there's varying factors. We'll, we'll get yeah. into that. That's, that's a marketing <laughs> thing. Um, if you have questions, ask me. I have some experience in this. Um, but long story short is he went and asked all of his friends to uh, and followers to go play his song on Spotify and put it in a single playlist and just play it a few times. But it, Put it on 
in a playlist by itself, put it on repeat, and listen to it when you go to work. So he's getting three plays out of one person <laughs> on their way to work, right? Easily. That, yep. Okay. So he's turning all of his consumers into force multipliers instead of relying on playlisters and DJs and, you know, uh, influencers to be your force multipliers. He turned the consumers into force multipliers. By at least three to one. Mans is brilliant. <laughs> like, well, he get away with it, right? Hey, you, you can... You can say whatever you want about his music, about how you, however you feel about him, but you cannot deny his marketing brilliance. Like we would have never thought that country rap was ever going to be a thing. Right. Was that, I, I think I saw the music video for that where he's like riding the horse and it like transports to the future or something. Exactly. It teleports I mean, to the future. It, that was just a weird song. I thought I made weird music. <laughs> But I mean, this well. is some seriously left field stuff, and, and caught fire. And it caught fire because of the marketing. He found yeah. his target audience. His target audience yeah. is people who like Dirty South, people who like trap music, but people who are also low country. And you know what? That's seventy percent of America. <laughs> yep, and a lot of people who love country. That for and by modern terms, that's pretty much pop music because it's got a lot of trap and EDM in it. Yeah, And it just has that country twang. And, you know, he can cross over them really quick just with that vibe. And you know what? It worked because I know several people who only listen to country that all of a sudden are listening to Lil Nas X. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa. whoa I didn't know you listen to rap. <laughs> Wait a second. Not only do you listen to rap, but you're listening to, you know, um, somebody who's not uh, ethnically, like, typically welcomed in your genre. No. Um <laughs> <laughs> who has an alternative lifestyle that um, you know you're not usually welcoming of in that community? He's, I mean, he's an he outlier. Broke so many barriers. I mean, yep. and that's what really makes him brilliant because he's just undeniably him, and he asked for the sale based on the uh, social capital that he generated by interacting with people who would like his music. You know, I think that just goes back to the original point, you know, being a good salesman, because this is the reason the ones that are successful are successful and they don't have to have the greatest music. There's some like mumble rap. Like I don't personally like anything that a lot of these mumble rap rap people put at, put out. It's just not for me, but you know what? The ones that made it big and are dealing, you know, doing these seven up deals and these, co you know, commercial deals and all the, like all of a sudden they have sponsorship and endorsements and all this and that. They did the work to generate the sales because the sales are what matter. The fact that they have the appeal, they have the consumer base that they do are the reasons that those seven up companies and the commercial companies are willing to go after those people because they know they'll put eyeballs in their seats. I mean, it, exactly. And, and it's not just that. Um, with um, a recent producer roundtable, you know, we talked about uh, writing music for commercials. And God, I want to be that way. I want to be there so bad. You know, I don't think I'm ready for that. You know, I just, 
I, I make a very specific kind of music and I happen to be really good at that specific kind of music. And if somebody told me to write a, f- uh, a hip hop track that's, you know, only 30 seconds long, I'm going to be like, that's not enough time, bro. That's an yeah. intro. <laughs> so what you're talking about in that, that pocket or that round table, it sounded like it was a media composer. So you're composing for media. You're, you're doing it for hire. Absolutely. And then, and that's a different kind of customer. So we're talking yeah. about finding customers, right? Mm-hmm. As a music producer, you can do whatever you do. Say maybe you're in a rock band or maybe you're making bass music like I'm making. Whatever you're doing, maybe you're doing indie folk music. I don't care what you're doing. Doesn't matter. You can do your art and build a name for your art, but also have a business plan to do um, maybe horror movie impacts and build sample packs, even though you're an indie folk artist. And that's how you make your money. Or you can find a different customer base um, that is, you know, um, college radio stations or, you know, and actually there is a lot of money to be made on college radio stations or public radio stations because they still pay licensing fees. Yep. Okay. And to that same point, there's a, there's a buddy of mine. So when I moved out here in 2019, um, I met a friend of mine that was close by, like, you know, in Agora Hills area. And um, he was setting up a music publishing company specifically for licensing to TV and movies. And that's Crime Sonics. So that's a, they do all things crime. <laughs> that's their, that's their shtick. Okay. So, you know, like minor chords and creepy yeah. pads and, yeah. okay. But they have, well, they have, they have some really like bluegrassy, like just a banjo and a piano type thing for like, you know, back, backcountry type, you know, crime stuff. They cover every genre. They, it, it's pretty wide ranging. But the thing that started their business was, um, he's been in that, you know, composing it himself for a few years, doing well, networked in the production music association and was building sample libraries of his custom music scores to sell. And that, that's where he developed sample hero. So his sample hero business became a hundred thousand dollar business before his crime sonics company actually got up and running. And now within just two years, Crime Sonics was already at six figures. That's mental. So that's pretty damn good. <laughs> that's an example of, you know, your customers may not be who you think your customers are. Like, exactly. Like me, I've been doing this for long enough. I know exactly who my customers are. My customers are DJs. My customers are playlisters. My customers are also people who uh, do action movies, mm-hmm. people who do sci-fi movies, people who do horror movies, people who write video games or are developing video games. These are my customers. When you're first starting out and you're trying to figure out who your customers are, um, you know it, it's, it's really hard for you because you're thinking that you have to play this whole social media game uh, and you know I've got to get to X number of thousand you know Facebook likes. No, you yeah. don't. No. no. 
One of the media companies that I really, really respect and is making a good amount of money, and I'm not going to name them because I didn't get permission before the podcast. They they do really well for themselves. They're all you know making comfortable livings, and their page has 221 likes. And I'm actually above them, <laughs> and I'm probably nowhere near the business. Social media is an illusion, guys. Yes, it, it's not real life. It's an illusion. Don't Those get are wrapped what's up called in it. Vanity metrics. Exactly. Now, now, these are good metrics for if you need to find a test audience to yes. run ads on, to find your customers. And now, once you find your customers, you have to know how your customers buy music. Okay. Um, we've talked a lot about you know how to find customers, getting on so different social platforms, interacting, running test ads, using the split half method. Um, we've also talked about joining PRO organizations. We've all also talked about uh, music production association. So now that you've got all these tools to find your customers, it's going to take you a couple months, I would say three to six months, to figure out who your customers are. So in one year, uh, you should have enough data to start running ads, okay? And how much you put in on the ad is up to you. Um, I'm going to suggest putting in, you know, doing a, say, like $50 ad budget, do five ads, yeah. figure out which ones perform the best, and then put another 50 on it next month. And I would and, say start small. Yeah. Definitely it, start small. Yes. $50, you know, a lot of people can afford $50. I'm, I'm just picking that number out of my head. Yeah. Um, if I had to scrape together $50, man, I could hustle it up. For, uh, your, for your beginning ads, I would say just expect the money that you're putting in right now to be learning money. You're going to throw it, it away knowing it's just helping you learn. I was just about to get to that. You've got to burn money to find out where the fire is. Um, and, and I learned that from a, a marketing buddy of mine. <laughs> um, so after you burn some money, you're going to have even more data. So you know who your customers are. Now you know how they interact with your music. And they interact with you on uh, social platforms. This... And hopefully you've also learned how these advertising platforms work. You're also going to be learning a lot more uh, about how the advertising platforms work. Now what you do is you hold back your budget until you have a release. And then a week before your release, you're going to start pushing, just pushing and pushing. And you're going to dump all that money that you've saved in your $50 a month budget on advertising or whatever dollar value you set. And there's two factors to that too. One is time and the other is reach. So how long can you run an ad for to reach the target, you know, audience size and how big of a budget can you go to reach the maximum number of eyeballs in that time period? You've, you've got to give yourself at least two weeks in my experience uh, for any ad, big or small. And I, I've ran some, some smallish ads, I've ran some micro ads before Never ran anything huge. Um, that's just not a good move for my business model. Um, but if you're running micro ads, those micro ads are going to take two weeks to get to your $10 minimum budget. It's going to take a long time, right? It's going to be a slow roll. 
Um, if you put more money in on the front, then you're going to get those analytics faster, but you're more risk. So running like five small $10 ads is always better yeah. than running one $50 ad. And I want you guys to understand this because you're going to start the ads on different days, right? So you're going to say, do, do like a three-day stagger. Start a $10 ad, wait three days. Start another $10 ad, wait three, uh, wait three days. $10 ad, $10 ad, $10 ad. And by the time you get to the fifth ad, you should have enough information from the first three, possibly fourth, that that fifth ad is going to perform really, really well. And you then know your audience. Now that you know your audience, when your next release comes up, you need to save that data, download this uh, CSV or the Excel file or whatever your platform uses. And you're going to import that into your next ad and you're going to throw as much money at it as you can afford. Yep. And you know, this also works too. Just because the song's already released doesn't mean you can't advertise it anymore. Should always be advertising. There's a way to do it, but you should definitely still be advertising. If you don't have any new releases lined up, advertise music you've already released. Find a way to keep it relevant. And that's all there is to it. Like something that I keep returning to is just coming back to that basic perspective, you know, like thinking like a business and, you know, like a salesperson, if you're not constantly trying to find new customers, then what are you also doing to serve the customers you do have? Are you going to be adding value to your, to your product stack or just the customer journey? Like, Hey, just want to keep you guys updated. Maybe I have a Patreon where you guys can, follow along and then make sure you're serving them first. They should be your top priority. So your highest tier uh, Patreons should be like, Hey, these people are subscribing to me that I like to think of Patreon is, you know, the, the underground or like the, like Lincoln park underground used to be like that type of thing. It's like you subscribe to it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And there's, um, there's also uh, another alternative that a, a lot of people are not talking about, uh, which I'm getting into is um, buy me a coffee. Oh, oh, this sounds interesting. Yeah, so basically it's an online tip jar. Okay. Uh, so what you do is say like maybe I'm in Discord because uh, I never stream on Twitch anymore. I I just didn't like the vibe. Um, although, I mean, I do it like once a month uh, for like when I got something special going on. Uh, but I'm always in Discord channels, you know, streaming. And, you know, people pop in and say, hey, what are you doing? Oh, well, this is what I'm doing. And then I just, you know, comp shoot them a DM. Here's uh, a link. If you like what I'm doing, you know, shoot me a, uh, shoot me a tip and I'll shoot you a tip on uh, the next question that you ask. I'll, I'll address it live stream. And they might send you a dollar. They might send you five. I mean, awesome. I don't know. Um, but it's an online tip jar. And this is um, this is great for people who, who uh, stream on Twitch, whether you're uh, doing, you know, gaming on Twitch as part of your branding. Uh, hey, man, it's if you're doing electronic music or rock or whatever, and you're also a gamer, you should be play 
spending your time on Twitch connecting with potential fans. Exactly. You're already going to be gaming. Connect with potential fans. That's another great way. Yeah. Or even scheduling. Like if, if your shtick is like, you're, hey, you're also a gamer and you're an artist. Um, scheduling party nights with, you know, hanging out with fans on a game of choice through Twitch and your live streaming um, is just another way to be more interactive. And that's, that's a really cool idea, but you can also make that an exclusive for your highest tier fans that, you know, Hey, you, there's only 12 of you. Let's all 12 of us hop on, you know, a game of Warzone or something. Absolutely. Uh, although my, my favorite one is, um, and I'm actually going to, you know, name this, um, this guy, uh, Brandon, also known as Swarm. Uh, you may have heard of yes. him uh, from, you know, Lost Lands 2019, <laughs> uh, Lost Lands 2021, when that Dude, happens. He killed, it. He killed uh, it in 2019. I mean, come on. This, this. So what he does, um, and I highly encourage you to subscribe to his Patreon so that you can get in on this. Um, it, and it's worth the, the lowest tier, which is all you need for this particular activity. Um, but they have Cards Against Humanity every Friday night. That sounds and, so fun. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's people doing what you do when you play Cards Against Humanity. There's, you know, intoxicants involved and <laughs> uh, profanity yep. and lots of laughter and stupid jokes. You know, basically being as despicable as you know you can get away with in a game that is awesome and it totally fits his brand because he's snarky he's (laughs) um he's acts purposely aloof sometimes and i love it he and then he'll just come out of nowhere with like this left hook of brutal honesty and game uh, game night spe- like revolving around something like cards against humanity, which is all about being a despicable person completely <laughs> fits his brand. And this yep. is one of the things. So this is the, like this premium interaction that is a, also a revenue stream, but is also fun for you as an artist guys, girls, whatever, you you need to remember that this is supposed to be fun. Yes, it is a business and it is serious. But if you can't have enjoy what you're doing, you might as well go get a desk job. Yeah. Okay, because that's going to be a lot more stability in your life. You're going to know what time you go to work. You're going to know what time you get off. You're going to get paid X amount of dollars. Your health care costs X amount. It's a very <laughs> cookie cutter lifestyle. But you don't get into the music business because you want a cookie cutter lifestyle. You like living on the edge. You like being at risk. And you get to define how that business looks like. And that's why we're talking about this today is because most people who are at this stage asking this question haven't even thought about how they want to run their business. Yeah. And there's so many different ways. I mean, he... You know, when they started this, they probably never thought that it would be like a legit revenue stream for them, but it is, you know, they thought that they were going to do most of their, you know, business in, um, you know, headlining club performances in merch sales in uh, streaming. And, you know, the very, very last amount would be in music purchases for other DJs to play. Right. Um, 
even though that that's like their highest markup is the music for DJs to play, it's there's something that we need to touch on. And it, it, that is protecting your music. Whenever you're selling something, you have to protect it. Make sure that you signed up with um, the appropriate you know, performance rights organization. Make sure mm-hmm. you're on ASCAP or BMI if you're in the uh, continental uh, United States or if you're in North America, uh, get an ASCAP. Um, there's other associations across the world. It, it's going to protect you from people... Um, you know, buying your song and then uploading it to some weird server in Russia or South Korea where they're... Or worse, setting up a duplicate account on Beatport and just trying to rack the top 10 on Beatport. <laughs> I mean, Beatport's pretty wise on that. Juno is pretty wise on that. Um, but I've heard bigger... some stories where people have gotten through, though. it's It can still happen. It's very, very rare, but it's just it's just one of those potentials. This is one of the things that we, when we talk about distribution, you, um, we talked about DistroKid and some of the smaller ones. They do not protect you. No, okay. They're a distributor. They're a distributor. They don't care. They'll take anybody's, you know, uploads as long as they meet the technical specifications for an upload. If you want to do this as a career and you want to set up a business, you need to actually set up a business. You need to consult with a lawyer um, or at least go to LegalZoom and look at their you know, offerings. And you need to probably set up an LLC, potentially you know, a C-Corp uh, or, or an S-Corp, you know, depending on what you're looking at probably do not want to get into a sole proprietorship if you are going to be producing any type of content that has any type of samples or perhaps um, explicit lyrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last thing you need is the United Arab Emirates, you know, suing you because they don't like the lyrics to your song and it got <laughs> accidentally distributed to their country. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a sole proprietorship, they sue you as a person. Yeah. They it's take tied your, to your social security number. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, set up, um, for me, an LLC made the most sense uh, because... LLC is a bare minimum. It's the bare minimum. It's the easiest to set up. Um, and that gives me the leverage later on to open my own publishing company, yep. like your friend did. Or uh, and maybe I specifically just want to do sample packs or, you know, presets for, you know, software synths. Um, or maybe, you know, I just want to do movie beds, whatever. It does matter. Setting that up protects you, but it also uh, gives you a little bit more leverage when you call up BMI and say, hey, I'm having a problem with this artist. They uploaded my music. It's not me. As you can see by the content ID, it's not me. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely my song. Here's my song. Here's their song. It's the exact same. I'm going to need you to sort that out. And guess what? BMI and ASCAP will have it taken down. You don't have to go and fight every single one of these individual platforms to have that perpetrator removed. The associations do it for you, and they'll be more inclined to do it if you're set up as an S-Corp, a C-Corp, or an LLC. Definitely. Or 
you could go look for an administrator like SongTrust, for example, that will automatically go out on your behalf and, and fight some of those claims. You bring up good points. Um, SongTrust um, is a double-edged sword. Sometimes they uh, will content ID your own content if you mm-hmm. upload it and don't uh, let them know about it. Yeah, you have to you have to go through that. Does it makes sense. <laughs> it does happen. If they don't know uh, about it, then how are they? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so, but that's what's called a user error. Yeah. Not a problem with the service. Now, do people yeah. get in their feelings and blame it on the service and go talk? Absolutely. You know, mad smack <laughs> about it online. Absolutely. It. And then I'm like looking at the post, and I'm like. Bro, can I? I'm going to DM you, and then you DM them, and you're like, "Hey, man, uh, so tell me about what's going on." They tell you the story. And you're like, "Man, you did this to yourself, bro." Exactly. And, like, and then they get mad because they feel like you're attacking them. Oh man! And you're like, "No, man, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. You accidentally did it to yourself. You didn't do it on purpose." Yeah. You kind of have to backpedal a little bit and. <laughs> And and they get it, and they're like, "Oh man, yep. I really did stub my own toe, didn't I?" Definitely, man. That table was there the whole time, and you stubbing your toe on that table is not the table's fault. It's just that simple. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it, folks. I think we've kind of crushed this episode. It really comes down to that we're talking about the truth of music sales. Music sales exist. It's just a different world we're living in. And Rick pointed that out very clearly throughout this whole episode. I hope you guys have been paying attention, but it it boils down to this. When people pay you, they pay attention. And when you think about that, it really comes down to asking for the value upfront, setting your value, being in control of your destiny. So if you're looking at this from the perspective of a music business, like how can I turn this into a business? What are you doing to make your dream a reality? Are you just stopping it at, you know, asking a couple of questions and throwing your hands up in the air saying, oh, I don't have control over this, so I guess I can't do it? No, find a creative way around it. Maybe you need to think about this perspective of all of these links in a supply chain. Like SongTrust is a link in a supply chain. A PRO is a link in a supply chain. A distributor is a link in a supply chain. Maybe all of your sample library companies you go to that you like to buy their stuff are links in your supply chain because they're helping you create the supply of music that you create. There's links on every side of you. You have to think about where you sit and where the music sits, where the content sits, where your audience sits, where your super fan sits. Are you thinking about everything from end to end and kind of building this vision for that business? And if you are, write it down because then it makes it a lot easier to start tracking and growing it and then defining it more clearly as you go. Because that was something we talked about in the last episode. My little solo episode, I gave you 20 smart questions for defining your music business. And I think if you've done any part of that, you would see this a lot clearer than a lot of people who haven't sat down and thought about it. If you had, we probably wouldn't be here today and you probably wouldn't be the one on sitting on the listening side of this podcast going, you know, I totally agree. I'm so frustrated with the music industry. Why does it pay nothing? It's just not paying you anything yet because you haven't set it up right. That's absolutely true, Cameron. Um, and I think at the end of the day, um, 
One of the best things that I can say is something that um, I learned from Bruce Lee, who is a consummate philosopher. Uh, he's known as a filmmaker and a, a martial artist, but he he was also um, a, an incredibly brilliant philosopher. And I'm going to summarize uh, so that I don't get like a copyright strike on this podcast, but just go read or listen to the Bruce Lee Be Like Water monologue. So good. If this doesn't change your life, go listen to it until it does. Because this is the most powerful thing that I've ever came across in my entire life in any religion and in any sales class, any business class, any training class, any training to train other people class. Um, by the way, I'm a professional trainer. Um, I teach technical topics all the time, not just music. Um, but understanding the, the concept of being like water will change the way that you do everything. You need to take all the information that we've got in this podcast, all of the names that we dropped, and uh, as well as the anecdotes, and figure out what my path of least resistance is. How, because I'm just one person, I can't do it all alone. I need to have the highest impact for the least amount of energy. Yep. And really, it's just coming down to also just trying more things. Not everything you do is going to be successful. And part of being like water is not being so married to one path that you get so frustrated when it doesn't work out. Be, be open-minded and try something else. If the math isn't working out, you can adjust your equation and try again. Absolutely. And when all else fails, you can just get on Discord with your fans and, you know, say, hey, for a dollar <laughs> Patreon, you can, we yep. can play uh, Cards Against Humanity. No, I'm just kidding. Yep. I, actually, that's, that, that actually, that does bring up a good point. Discord brilliant. is bringing some updates, by the way. Oh. They're, they're bringing some major updates, um, some like paid, private, kind of like, um, what's it called? I, I haven't been able to do it because I wasn't on Apple iPhone for the longest time. The Clubhouse. They're, they're bringing some clubhouse style stuff. So you can do paid, like real time, things like that. It's really interesting. I'm really disappointed in the way uh, clubhouse worked out. Yeah. Because yeah, the, they, that was they a big failed. fizzle. They should have sold. They should have sold when they got the offer. They didn't sell. And now everybody else is copying them. Like Twitch is, or no, sorry, Twitter's copying them. I think Discord is probably going to do a really good job of implementing something similar. Uh, but they're also integrating with Sony. They just announced a partnership with Sony to get on PlayStation, like the the platform. Wait, what? Yeah, there's there's some big stuff. So I That's will crushing. I'll show the link. <laughs> just go to um, Epos Vox on YouTube. E P O S V O X on YouTube. His channel. They just announced some uh, big updates for Discord. He's like uh, the stream professor, self, you know, self-proclaimed. Oh, yeah. Oh man, that that dude is so smart. He's yeah, he's he's huge in the streaming scene, so he's he's very on top of these topics. <laughs> yeah, guys, one of the biggest things that if you if you get no other takeaway, social media isn't everything. Discord uh, or Slack channels are are the best way to interact with your customer base. 
If you find somebody on a wayward soul on social media, invite them to your private Discord and only interact with them in there. It does not boost you in the algorithms, but it does boost you in that person's mind because you are taking your real time to talk to them as a real person. Yeah. It's kind of supplementing. I imagine at some point it might take over the email channel, but for right now, email is still king. But the Discord and Slack and these other like private channels, because one, you can set up a private Discord server, meaning it's just an instance connected to their platform that only you and the people you invite. It's like a Facebook group, but it's it's private. So the fact that this channel exists, it's a much more uh, private, you know, personal opt-in method of communication that is kind of supplementing email. So it's definitely a good another channel of communication to follow in with. So yeah, definitely go check out Epos Fox's YouTube channel if you want to learn more about that. I don't know all the deets, but he did he he spilled the beans on everything. I don't know when it's happening, but they are doing a partnership with um Sony for the PlayStation Network. I don't know when that's rolling out, but that was in lieu of turning down Microsoft. Microsoft wanted to buy Discord and they turned them down <laughs> for good reason. There was uh, one last thing to wrap up because I know this is already running into overtime, uh, but there was a um, in, there was a, another uh, channel of uh, revenue that I want to um, do some research on that we didn't get a chance to uh, talk about. And it's um, specifically licensing music for uh for games and oh, yeah. yeah i'll see if i can get find the information i i'm or still streaming. checking them out yeah or streaming yeah um i think that oh it was um that's what it was it was pre-cleared music for game streamers so what you do is you upload your music and it's automatically white flagged yep so this is um there's a platform uh i've been in talks with the CEO or the COO of this platform that we're trying to get him on for a future episode because I'd love to pick his brain. What was the name of that? Well, I, I, James uh, Fixed uses it. It's called Pretzel Rocks. Pretzel. That's yes. what. It, uh, pretzel. You know, um, I, I don't know why that name was escaping me. I guess because it's <laughs> like eleven thirty at night. Um, <laughs> it's all good. And here on the East Coast, but yeah, I was turning your the, brain into a pretzel. This this platform is super interesting. So you can say maybe release exclusive content on this platform. Yep. Specifically for your gamer friends. And then you get your gamer friends say, hey, please play my song on your Twitch stream. <laughs> this is just more sales for you. Yes. One, it's affordable for those streamers because, again, they want something as easy as possible. It is so time-consuming to go to try to find music that matches your stream, what you're about, and do all these things, and get it cleared. Have to take the time to submit a request, get a contract signed, and get approved to use it or pay a license fee. And a lot of times, those one-to-one fees are exorbitant especially if you're dealing with like a song trust, you know, they have to take their cut off the top. So they're going to buffer quite a bit. Uh, So what's left with you at the end might be minuscule, but it's also just out of the range for most streamers. Most streamers probably aren't making a crap. They're not making six figures. They might be just barely scraping by, 
on a livable salary doing it full time. So yeah. they can afford to pay a little bit, but not a crazy amount. Yeah, like um, um, one of the streamers that I used to watch quite a bit uh, streams nothing but Hearthstone. And oh, nice. he has no um, he has no music because he says he can't afford it. I was like, hey, well, you should check out this site. And I sent him the Pretzel, the, the pretzel Rocks nice. site. And it's like... And really, I, I kind of blame this on Twitch too because Twitch was just so anti they were but they weren't proactive about it and they waited until the absolute last minute to turn on all of the api hooks and things like that and now people you know this late in, in 2020s we're talking about twitch real-time audio listening to your stream and we'll just flip the switch if they find something that is blacklisted or if it's not whitelisted it's not cleared it'll just mute your audio and not just like the music, it no. mutes all everything. Of yes, yeah. So it's it, it's it's problematic. Uh, so for streamers, uh, because that basically means you have to delete that entire stream. Uh, that means no backend revenue for you. And you, a lot of times, you'll get just as much backend revenue as you do get live revenue, uh, because not everybody's going to be able to watch your stream when you're actually streaming. Yeah. Or a lot of Twitch, like a lot of streamers I noticed will actually be big on multiple platforms and all of their VODs video on demand will be on their YouTube channel and YouTube will also have to be a place they have to make sure they get clearance for as well. But if the stream gets muted, it's just empty audio to begin with in your YouTube video. So that's even worse. (laughs) And it's also a big um, piece of uh, unpaid labor for them because they have to go back and watch this entire hours long stream to check for you know muted audio and it's not like you can go through and watch it you know on uh, you know and scrub through it and say jump 30 seconds 30 seconds 30 seconds 30 seconds through the whole hours long stream checking the audio no cuz they might only mute 15 seconds Yep. But that ruins your whole uh, video on demand. So you literally have to, if you stream for four hours, your next task is after the video renders, which will probably take hours, is to watch the video that is now hours long to make sure that there's no problems with it. And th- this service makes it so much easier on streamers, which means they're going to be, um, they're, they're just clamoring for, for new music on this platform. So just because you don't know about, um, this is one of those things. It's, it's knowing about the platforms and knowing about your customers and then telling your customers, your potential customers, about where they can get your stuff. Because they may not know about the platform where they can get your stuff. I'm from the East Coast. I don't know what Fred Myers is, but apparently Fred Myers is a grocery store. <laughs> And apparently you can buy things there. Um, I didn't know that. I mean, it's not Until Fred Meyer's music? Me. Huh? You mean it's not Fred Meyer's music? It's not Fred Meyer's <laughs> music, but they do sell Christmas CDs, apparently. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing that they did. Uh, but no, if you don't know where to buy stuff, if your customers don't know where they can buy it, you have to tell them where they can buy it. And I've said this multiple times throughout the the stream is you have to tell them where to go to get it. They are not going to go looking for you. They already found you. 
you have to tell them where to find the product. Yeah. There's a time for that directing language and you, there's time, there's times where you're going to find your language for how you talk to your audience is going to be very specific and it might be different in each situation, but there is absolutely a time to be directing in your language. And that's when you want them to do something. That's what's called a call to action. Yeah, absolutely. That's more like your fifth ad, right? We were talking about the five ad plan is your first four ads are finding your your audience and your fifth ad is your call to action. Yep. I love it. All right on, Rick. Thank you so much for joining me tonight and I appreciate all your insight and wisdom. Uh, Is there any place we can check out your music at? What do you have available? Ooh, that's... uh... That's a rough one for me right now. I'm, <laughs> I just started a whole new artist name, uh, Scrap Code, and it's Scrap Code with a K. Um, I'm all on social medias, uh, on, on all the social media platforms, at Scrap Code uh, right now. I also have my previous Rick Delore project. Um, and there's music from Rick Delore available. The first uh, single... And I can't announce the label yet. Uh, the first single is slated for um, for the Scrap Code project is slated for seven sixteen. Uh, so that's July sixteenth. It's kind of quick. Oh, it's not. <laughs> it, it's not, bro. Uh, this album has been three hour uh, three years uh, in writing and oh, production. Uh, wrote like fifty songs, narrowed it down to nine. Holy crap. Then it went to mastering, then back and forth shopping with labels, sent out 300 emails. Wow. Got three responses, two failed negotiations, landed uh, on the last one. Um, And then because of COVID, everything takes so exponentially longer. Yeah. Finally got the album art back. And now the last step is the contracting. It's already in the release queue. He's just got to send me the documents to VeriSign. That sounds awesome. Dude, well, I'm excited for that. I'm going to have to check it out once it, once it hits. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, so it's going to be like, uh, four singles, um, and then a full, the, the full album. And, Obviously, like I'm a content creation beast. That's what I do is just sit around and create content. <laughs> uh, so I've already got a follow-up EP that's nice. done, ready to go to mastering. Ooh. Um, I've got like four collabs in the works um, in various stages of disarray as collabs go. That's awesome. So, so you're basically ready for Scrap Code to just explode once it hits market. This is This is what we're talking about here. This is the, I've been pushing and marketing and pushing and marketing and pushing and marketing. And then I flipped it and changed my name on all my socials Ugh. and said, Hey guys, by the way, this is my new name. This is why. Yeah. Be nice. on the lookout. And then fast forward to right now. Nice. That's where we are. I've been, th- this is a three year plan to market this new project. That's never an easy transition either. Yeah, if you think this is going to happen for you in, you know, three months, you have unrealistic expectations. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, 716, uh, first single is going to be Let It Roll. Um, yeah, I'll shoot you a, a snippet that you can use for the bed. Yes. Anything. Yeah. Share it. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us today. And um, again, you can find Rick on the Music Producers Alliance. He is one of our coaches. So definitely if you have tactical questions or maybe you want to get the one-on-one with him to learn more about the, the split testing, definitely hit him up for that because he is good on that stuff. <laughs> All right, folks, until next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Thank you everybody for sticking around to the end. I hope you found this podcast episode helpful and insightful. I know we dropped a lot of resources, so do check the show notes for where to access those. All of the links should be there. I can't believe we're already four episodes in, and that's just quite a journey we've been on. I know we're doing every two weeks, so let us know how we're doing by emailing podcast at modernproducersecrets.com. I would really love to know if this stuff is helping you guys, if you like it, if you dislike it, the format, you know, just let us know what we're doing and if we're doing it well or we're not, what we can do to improve. Anyway, we have a couple of ideas for Horizon projects and something we're going to be trying to talk about in the future episodes are going to be obviously some things that we touched on here today. So who knows what could be next? It could be talking about NFTs or we could be talking about licensing or with streaming music on platforms like Pretzel. I'm really trying to grab the best of the best to interview for these topics so we can bring you guys relevant, actionable info. So again, hopefully you got something out of it besides maybe some entertainment. And that's my goal with this podcast is to continue helping you grow and expand your mind. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance. The Music Producers Alliance is the premier online community and professional development platform that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and mentoring to producers and composers at all skill levels and backgrounds. Our mission is to help music creators turn their passion into a profitable profession. Visit musicproducersalliance.com or find the link in the show notes to get started.